0: Remember, remember, the 5th of November, the gunpowder treason and plot. Anybody able to finish that off? I know of no reason why the gunpowder treason should ever be forgotten. Remember that? Anyone learned that rhyme at school? A few of you, maybe. If you're really old, you might remember it. It's bonfire night on Thursday. If you hadn't noticed already last night, there's fireworks going off. Things going bang all over the place. If you've got a dog at the moment, it's a bad time. If you've got a little animal, it's not a good time. It's bonfire night on on Thursday and the first few lines of that poem remind us and tell us to remember that night in 1605 when Guy Fawkes was prevented from blowing up the Houses of Parliament and the King. Probably something that we should be a little bit more focused on given its more recent relevance to us is the 11th of November which will be not this week but next week which of course is remembrance Day, and we'll probably look at that a bit more next Sunday I guess but we remember don't we on the 11th of November the the time Uh, when the armistice was signed in World War I, but more generally, it's a time of remembering and giving thanks for those who've laid down their lives in the service of this country and for our freedom. So remembering is about choosing to focus on something that we already know about and remembering so that we don't forget the lessons of the past and the importance of what has gone before us. And in the Bible passage that we're looking at today... Paul begins by telling Timothy, who he's writing to, to keep reminding the Christians in Ephesus about what the Bible teaches, making sure they remember, they don't forget. Most Bible teaching, if you think about it, isn't actually new to us. Once we've been a Christian for a few years, most Bible teaching is really just about reminding us about things we already know. Most of the things we know, but it's important to keep reminding ourselves to not forget some of those key truths. And, and we need to be reminded because we just forget so easily. And we so easily, don't we, just naturally find ourselves, our, our heads are filled with all sorts of other things, and our lives are busy. And so we, we so easily lose focus on what is really important in life. Now, Paul was writing to Timothy in this second letter from his prison cell, and he was trying to encourage and prepare Timothy in his role as a key regional church leader, And in the section of this second letter that we're looking at today, he begins by saying, keep reminding them of these things. In other words, keep reminding the believers there at Ephesus about everything in my letter and especially what I'm just about to say. So what was Paul about to say? What was it important that Timothy needed to keep on reminding the Christians there in Ephesus about? And what do we therefore, by implication, need to keep reminding ourselves about this morning? Well, let's read that next section As we're working our way through 2 Timothy, we're going to read from 2 Timothy chapter 2 and we're going to read from verses 14 to 19. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verses 14 to 19. So Paul chained up in his prison cell, writes this to Timothy and he says, keep reminding them of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have wandered away from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, The Lord knows those who are his. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. So Paul is writing to Timothy, who was a key church leader, a regional church leader. And so a lot of what Paul is saying to Timothy is especially relevant and really important for those who are in church leadership. But please don't think that if if you're not in church leadership this morning, that the contents of Paul's letter don't apply to you because they do. Paul says, and he starts out by saying, keep reminding them, not so much keep reminding yourself, Timothy, but keep reminding them of these things. Paul wants Timothy to pass on what he's writing to all the believers there in Ephesus, not just, this isn't just for Timothy. And the fact that Paul says, keep reminding them of these things shows that what he's saying is really, really important. And the specific issue that Paul then focuses on is making sure that we know what the Bible teaches. And that we then choose to live by it, that we choose to apply it to our lives, not just about knowledge, but it's also about applying it and living by it in our lives. And Paul presents a choice. He describes two ways to live in this passage, two ways to live and behave. The first one is where a person gradually wanders away from the truth of the Bible and ends up far away from the truth and from God himself. And he gives the, the example of two men have done just also influenced others to follow them and the second is where a person stays totally focused on what the bible teaches and the truth of the bible and then lives the way that god wants them to live in the light of that knowledge that they have they apply what they know to their lives they stay focused on the truth and they live that way and paul highlights then examples of how find themselves wandering away. those who make that first choice He gives two examples of how people can find themselves wandering away from the truth of the Bible. Firstly, he says this, warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and it only ruins those who listen. Some people just love to argue for the sake of arguing. And some people like to argue and they like to quarrel about the Bible. They're not really interested so much in what the Bible actually teaches and then applying it to their lives. They just like to argue about the Bible for the sake of it. And they like to show off their knowledge of what they've learned. And it's easy for us to drift into this kind of mindset and and, and behavior without really realizing it. It's, It's so subtle. For instance, we can end up obsessing about the second coming of Jesus, for instance, and arguing about all the minor details. And in the process, we end up missing the key point, which is that Jesus is coming again, and we need to be ready to meet him. That's the big message of the second coming, isn't it? Jesus is coming again, and are we ready to meet him? It's not that the minor details are not important or that that they shouldn't be studied. We should absolutely study everything in the Bible. Every word is there for a reason. It all matters. But if we're not careful, we can end up focusing on details and knowledge and information. And we miss what God is really saying to us. We miss what God is really saying to us. So write this down on your outline if you've got one in front of you, if you want to use it this morning. We need to apply the Bible to our lives Rather than quarreling about words, we need to apply what we know to our lives rather than just getting kind of hung up on quarreling and arguing and potentially then falling out over words. I've met people who are fascinated about all the details of what happens when Jesus comes again, for instance, but they've become obsessed with words. They they, they miss the point. They can tell you all the minute details of the second coming, for instance, but then when you look at their lives and the way that they live, They don't live as if Jesus is about to return at any moment. They've missed the point. Such a subtle thing, but it's so dangerous. And we can so easily find ourselves falling into that same kind of behavior. And when people behave like this, it ruins those who listen, says Paul. People who behave like this end up setting a bad example. And in the process, they end up leading others away from focusing on what is really important. Paul then gives another example. 16, avoid godless indulging it more ungodly a godless chatter what is it well i guess basically it's any kind of conversation that we have where god is obviously absent from the content of our conversation and i guess that can happen at two levels the first level is a more kind of innocuous level where we just find ourselves easily chatting with other christians about all sorts of totally legitimate things but then at the end of our conversation if we were to analyze it we would maybe sometimes sadly find that God has been absent, that the, the word of God has been absent. The, the gospel has been absent from our conversation. We've had a whole conversation with another Christian and, and, and the Lord has not featured in that at all. It's not that we should only ever talk about God or the Bible. But Jesus should flow them into their conversation. It should just be a natural extension and express who we are and sometimes that's not always the case and I hold my own my own hands up for that sometimes if I analyze my conversation I think yeah you know God really hasn't featured in that at all and I've just kind of gone a whole day and I've had lots of conversations but but the Lord's kind of been absent from that and that's something that we need to think about isn't it why is the Lord absent from our conversations sometimes the conversations with other Christians that I enjoy the most I think are Uh, And the best are where I find myself talking about Jesus one moment and then uh, maybe about sport or a holiday or a movie that I've watched or a really good book I've read. And then in the midst of that, the Lord features and is interwoven into it naturally. That is a kind of natural, healthy, godly kind of conversation to be having. But there is a second level and a more serious level, if you like, where not only is God absent from our conversation, but that the actual content of our conversation is clearly godless and actually ungodly Paul says in Ephesians 4 29 he says do not let any any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen so instead of engaging in godless chatter or unwholesome talk as Paul says in Ephesians we should engage in conversations which build other people up it is what I'm saying building those who are listening up are they benefiting from my conversation otherwise as Paul here in second Timothy those who indulge in godless chatter will become more and more ungodly it's a kind of downward spiral where people then drift away from God so it's good to ask ourselves these kind of questions about our conversation the things we talk about how we interact with others firstly is my conversation filled with God or is it Godless? is my conversation filled with God it doesn't mean we have to talk about you know the Lord 24 hours a day But is my conversation, does does God feature in my conversation or is it godless? Does what I talk about help others or does it hinder others? Are other people going to be built up in their faith and encouraged and blessed or are they going to be hindered by what I talk about? And and, and thirdly, does my conversation create unity or is it divisive? Am I a person who divides people and causes quarrels or am I someone who builds unity and, and brings people together? Paul says that when we quarrel over words, when we argue about words in the Bible, just for the sake of an argument, then we ruin those who listen, we're a bad influence on them. Or when we engage in godless conversations, those who engage in those conversations will then become more and more ungodly. And in both of these examples that Paul gives, people are subtly led further and further away from focusing on Jesus and living lives that glorify him. And and Paul gives a an example to Timothy of, of two men who've done just this. In verse 17, talking about those who've become more and more ungodly, he says their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Harmeneus and Philetus who have wandered away from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place and they destroyed the faith of some. Make sure I drink the water and not the hand sanitizer. That wouldn't go well. As a result of their unhelpful and their godless conversations and as a result of being subtly led away bit by bit from focusing on Jesus and instead focusing on the wrong things they had developed this belief that the resurrection had already taken place and they were teaching it it seems that they had taken the verses in the bible which talk about believers being resurrected when Jesus comes again in the future and they were teaching that that wasn't a physical future resurrection from the dead but it was a spiritual resurrection right now And in some ways, they were right. And this is the point where if we just focus on one or two verses, we can miss the bigger picture of what God's saying in the Bible. In some ways, they were right. The Bible does teach that when we trust in Jesus, we're spiritually raised from the dead. Last week, we looked at 2 Timothy 2.11, which says that if we died with him, we will also live with him. And that's talking about the fact that our old life is dead if we put our faith and trust in Jesus and that we have already begun to live a new life in Jesus. It's what we could call, I guess, a spiritual resurrection. But the Bible does teach very clearly that if we die physically before Jesus comes again, then we will, when he comes again, be physically raised from the dead in the future. And our bodies will be changed physically and transformed. So there is yet a future physical resurrection for us to look forward to. And it seems that if you kind of look between the lines, it it seems that these two men were teaching that because people have been spiritually given a new life right now, which we have when we trust in Jesus, That they therefore had an indestructible spiritual life, so that what they physically did didn't really matter. And, And it's a classic example of someone reading a bit of the Bible, becoming obsessing or obsessive over a few words and ignoring the rest of the Bible. And as a result, teaching wrong things with disastrous results in this case. And it's often with disastrous results in every case but Paul says that in teaching this, Hymenaeus and Philetus had destroyed or upset the faith of some, that they led people astray from the truth, and they'd caused those kind of problems for them. Now, we don't know anything else about Philetus, but it seems that Hymenaeus had already got formed for this kind of thing. Back in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 20, Paul mentions that he had expelled Hymenaeus from the church because of his wrong teachings, and it seems that he hadn't repented. He was still at it. Paul says that Hymenaeus and Philetus had wandered away the the truth or or swerved away from the truth. And the word translated as wandered here is the Greek word astokio. And it's it's used in Greek language to describe somebody missing the target or, or swerving away from the target in archery. And so it means to miss the mark and to deviate from something instead of staying on target. And the lesson I think that Paul's trying to get across to us is that we can find ourselves sort of swerving away or wandering away from the truth of the Bible for all kinds of reasons. But Paul gives two very specific ways in which it can happen and what's happening there in Ephesus. Firstly, people can obsess over some things and end up being more concerned with showing off their Bible knowledge and arguing and quarreling over words. And in so doing, they, they stop focusing on what really matters and what is really important and whether or not they're living for Jesus and becoming more and more like him day by day. And secondly, we can take our eyes off Jesus and start having conversations that are at best devoid of God, and at worst are really ungodly. And in doing this, we will then become ourselves more and more ungodly. And those we interact with will be affected by our ungodliness. And having become ungodly, we then start believing and teaching all sorts of things that are incorrect and false, like these two guys at Ephesus did. And the root of both problems is actually when a person takes their eyes off Jesus And begins to focus on other things, even though those things at first might appear to be very close to Jesus. They're often kind of biblical things or or look like godly things, but we begin to focus on other things rather than staying focused on Jesus. So write this on your outline. We need to stay focused on the target. And that target, of course, is Jesus. This is the kind of language that Paul is using. We need to stay focused on that target without kind of drifting away from the target. When we obsess, for instance, over a biblical subject and start showing off our knowledge and arguing over words, we've taken our eyes off the real target, which is Jesus. And when we allow our conversations to be devoid of any reference to God and the things of God, or or, or even worse, we start filling our conversations with things we shouldn't be talking about, then we'll become more and more ungodly. And both of those behaviors will lead us to wandering slowly, further and further away from God and, and, and believing things that are not actually true. With often disastrous consequences. So, Paul tells Timothy, the believers in the church at Ephesus, and us here this morning, what the solution is. He says, do your, pres- do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Now, it's true that Timothy had a unique role. He was a regional church leader, and none of us here today are regional church leaders. We don't have the kind of role that Timothy had. But nevertheless, The principle that Paul gives to Timothy is just as true for each one of us here this morning. And it's certainly true that quite a lot of us here today actually are involved in a leadership capacity of some sort or other here in a church context. And quite a lot of us are involved in a teaching capacity. All sorts of people lead and teach others, whether that's in Sunday school, there's a whole team next door leading and teaching others right this moment, or whether that's in jam club. Uh, in school, whether that's at the Hub, whether that's at Friday Frenzy or, or Frenzy Extra or at Space, in one-to-one discipleship programs that we have running, or in the main Bible teaching here on a Sunday, or in the role of being an elder here at Regent. All these different roles, and, and lots of people, not just a few of us, lots of people are actually involved in all of those different kinds of roles. So there's a sense in which every single one of us are God's workers, and even if we're not involved in the leadership or teaching role, we are all still God's workers, Bible teaches that. So we all need to take on board what Paul says here to Timothy about being workers approved by God. And the Greek word behind approved was used to describe the process whereby metals in the Greek culture when Paul was writing, it's a process where metals were tested to see if they were genuine and coins were tested to see if they were genuine and they would receive approval. And Paul, what Paul is saying is that we all need to work hard to make sure that our behavior and our knowledge of the Bible meets God's approval so that we're not ashamed by our conduct or our behavior. And what Paul is saying is that there are two kinds of worker effectively, two kinds of worker for God. On the one hand, there are those who are approved by God. They meet God's approval. They've been tested just like you would test a metal or a coin and the coin, the metal passes the test. It's genuine, it's authentic. And so that worker has no need to be ashamed. On the other hand, there are those who are not approved. They don't meet God's approval. They fail the test. And as a result, they ought to be deeply ashamed of themselves. The difference between these two kinds of workers basically concerns the way in which they handle or treat the word of truth, the Bible. Hymenaeus and Philetus were bad workers who were definitely not approved by God. So they had every reason to be ashamed. Whereas Paul was calling Timothy and us today to be to be workers that are approved by God and are unashamed because we correctly handle what we uh, read in the Bible and we correctly teach what we find in the Bible. So how do we do that? How do we make sure that we're approved by God, that we're unashamed in the way in which we handle the Bible and teach from it? Well, one way to do that and there are all sorts of methods we can use to make sure we 're studying the Bible correctly and properly, and lots we could talk about that but but there's one way we can do that that we can think about briefly this morning, which is this to make sure that we're doing it as we study the Bible that we do so with humility, which basically means I, I accept that I may not have all the answers as I come to this. this might be saying something that I didn't realize it was saying, I'm open to being challenged and taught afresh and learning uh, anew that I might not have all the answers. Secondly, having a teachable attitude that I might learn afresh from others and from the Bible as I read it, and that I'm doing it with the right motives. So we need to study the Bible with humility, with a teachable attitude, and with the right motives. We want to make sure we're not just studying just to gain knowledge so that we can then quarrel about words. If that's what we're doing, we're missing the point of studying the Bible. Instead, we need to be studying the Bible to get to know God and to get to know his word better so that we can live lives that please him and bring him honor and glory. Paul tells Timothy, and he tells us today, that we need to correctly handle the word of truth. The Greek phrase that this is translated from means to cut a straight road through a forest. That was how it was used. And the phrase apparently over time came to mean handling something correctly. And so every worker and every person teaching from the Bible has a choice. The word of truth, the Bible, Paul is saying, is kind of like a road. And those who teach from the Bible can cut this road through the forest dead straight. Or they can build or they can cut a road that's crooked and kind of wanders off. And as a result of what they teach, others will be affected. If if the Bible is handled correctly and the worker and the teacher, as it were, kind of cuts the road straight, then others will be able to follow and keep on that path. If they mishandle it, if they effectively build a crooked road or a wonky road, then they'll cause all sorts of damage to themselves and to those who are listening to them. The word of truth is also a target. The Bible is also our target. As we shoot at this target, we'll either hit it or we'll miss it. We'll either either stay focused or the arrow will kind of wander off and drift off, which is exactly what Hymenaeus and Philetus had done. They'd wandered from the truth. They hadn't built a straight path straight road and they hadn't hit the target when they were shooting at it and in the process their behavior and their teaching have caused people to be led astray and wander from the truth we don't need to be like that we can be like Timothy workers who correctly handle the word of truth and that's what Paul is calling us to be is to be those kind of people today so that in whatever situation we find ourselves in and we may not be all be teachers we may not all be leaders in church but we're all workers for God and it's so important that we correctly handle the word of truth so that we're unashamed and we're approved by God. Now, Timothy must have been very sad and disappointed with Hymenaeus and Philetus and the way in which they had led other people astray from the truth as well. I know personally how heartbreaking it can be as a church leader when you invest a lot of time and effort, sometimes uh, over many, uh, over several years, into someone's life. And then they turn away from God or they turn away from the truth of the Bible or both So Paul reassures Timothy by telling him that no one who is truly a believer in Jesus at Ephesus or anywhere else for that matter will fall away. He says this, nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. Now, Paul is quoting from the book of numbers in the old testament chapter 16 and he's referring to an incident where a man named Korah led a rebellion against moses and god and what paul is saying is this that god allows sometimes and uses situations like the one back in numbers with Korah, and the one in ephesus with hymenaeus and philetus he uses those situations to reveal who it is that really belongs to him as we said last week not everybody that professes to be a believer in jesus will actually be born again And their actions over time will demonstrate the genuineness of their profession. Are they really a believer or not? And we'll see that by their actions. God's solid foundation that Paul refers to here is Jesus and the salvation that he gives to those who are born again and trust in him. That is what we stand firmly upon. It's not down to our efforts to stay firm we stand firm on the solid foundation, which is Jesus. Those who have genuinely trusted in Jesus stand firm in Christ. He is their great foundation. It's not the person that stands firm in their own strength. It's God, Paul says, that makes them stand firm. And it's as if, Paul says, as if God has chiseled an inscription onto this foundation stone, which says two things. And the first thing the inscription says is the Lord knows who are his. God knows those that truly belong to him. In fact, he stamped us with a mark of ownership. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians, now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. God who does it, not down to our efforts. God makes us both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. God has anointed those who have trusted in Jesus and he's put like a mark or a stamp, a seal of ownership On them, which is the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit. And the presence of the Holy Spirit in a person's life is like a deposit, says Paul. That deposit guarantees their eternal destiny. Nothing and no one can change that. Those who are truly born again are eternally secure. Nothing and no one can change their identity or their eternal destiny. The second thing that Paul says that God has inscribed the solid foundation stone with is this. It's this phrase, everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. So there is a condition. Those who profess to, believers, to, to be believers in Jesus must turn away from wickedness. In other words, we should expect to see clear evidence in a person's life that they really have genuinely trusted in Jesus. And this evidence will be a changed life. Over time, there will be a change demonstrated and seen as they turn away from sin in their life. God knows those who have truly trusted in Jesus and those who have will demonstrate this by their actions and in their behavior in turning away from sin. And often those uh, choices that they make come up at key moments in their life. As we looked at last week, as they face difficult challenges, temptations uh, and, and health struggles and financial issues and all that kind of thing. God allows these situations to bring to light the reality of a person's um, salvation or otherwise. Timothy must have been greatly saddened by these two men at Ephesus and the damage they'd caused, but Paul wanted to reassure him that those who were truly born again would not be lost. So we need to stay focused on the truth of the Bible. It's so important that we get the detail right, absolutely, but that we handle the Bible correctly. But it's also important that we apply the Bible And what the Bible teaches to our lives, that we don't just obsess and stress about the detail, but we really apply the teaching of the Bible to our lives. It's not enough to know what it says. We need to then do what it says. James, in his letter, talks about a man who looks in the mirror and then kind of goes away and doesn't do anything about what he sees. And it's the same when we read the Bible. We're meant to then apply it to our lives. So as we as we come to an end this morning, let's just pause and take a moment to reflect on what we've read this morning and ask ourselves, what is God saying to me? And how should I respond to what he's saying? What is God saying to me this morning about my conversation? What is God saying to me about the way in which I handle the Bible? What is God saying to me about the way in which I read the Bible? Am I applying it to my life? Am I a, a good student of the Bible? Am I a good teacher of the Bible? Am I someone who is helping others by what I say and do? Or am I leading others astray lots of to think about let's just bow our heads just close our eyes just for a a moment or two and just in in the silence of this moment just reflect just for a few moments on what God is saying to us today and if God is speaking to you about any aspect of of your life this morning then I encourage you to respond to that and to apply that to your life today let's just have a few moments of quiet Father, we thank you that your word is living and active and it, and it speaks to us today. It's not just a historical book. It is your word. It's living. It's, it's alive. And we pray this morning that you would speak to us through the power of your spirit into our, into our hearts, that we would respond to what we hear and what we read and what we see. Help us this week, we pray, to be those who correctly handle the word of truth. Help us to apply it to our lives. Help us to be those who are a blessing to others in, in, in the way we speak and the things we talk about. Help us to be those who bring you honor and glory. We we, we thank you for the the guarantee of our eternal security in Christ. We thank you that it is Jesus who commands our destiny. Thank you that our feet, if if we know you this morning as Savior, we are built on that solid, firm foundation of the Lord Jesus and of the salvation that he has won for us. We praise you for this. We give you thanks for the Lord Jesus this morning, and we worship you together. In his name we pray. Amen.